there are reasons why the classics are the classics. There are reasons why various uh, books and movies sort of uh, rise to the top. They, they have something about them. They capture something about the human experience. They capture something about life. They capture something about uh, what's going on deep inside us that, that sort of allows them to transcend uh, a geographical location or a period of time and, and, and just keeps them in circulation. People keep reading and profiting from the classics. So um, one of those classics that I have returned to from time to time uh, is Charles Dickens' um, A Tale of Two Cities. And it has, of course, the, a very iconic opening line. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was an age of wisdom. It was an age of foolishness. It was an epic of belief. It was an epic of incredulity, right? On it goes. It was a season of light. It was a season of darkness. We were all going straight to heaven. We were all going in the opposite direction. Uh, and then he, he sort of ends that by saying, uh, in short, it was a period very much like the present. Uh, of course, he was writing this in uh, the 19th century. So uh, I, I share all this, and I've used all this in the past, to say uh, there are ways in which this is the best of times, and there are ways in which this is the worst of times. And uh, for the most part, you do not need to be reminded that many things are going poorly. Right? We know that. We hear that on an ongoing basis. The war, the death, the anger. There, there's, there's all kinds of challenges. Mental illness is up. Public trust is down. There's all kinds of acrimony. Uh, there's all kinds of tension. This past week, I lost uh, my fifth fraternity brother, uh, who was living in the fraternity at the time I was, to a death of despair. Uh, there is uh, sexual confusion. There is all kinds of... Uh, there's just all kinds of nonsense going on. This, this yesterday in Highland Park, uh, neo-Nazis staged uh, a day of hate, uh, a day of, you know, sort of claiming white supremacy and uh, all oriented around anti-Semitism. And so you do, I mean, I could go on, but you don't need me to go on. You know that there are lots of things that are going poorly. Uh, at the same time, if you have been paying attention to the things that I have been saying over the last couple of years and the, and the things I've been writing, uh, you have heard me say to you, and I'm saying it as much to me as I'm saying it to you, you've heard me saying to you that there are lots of things that are going right. We don't hear about them nearly as much. But, uh, but in the last 25 years especially, but I mean, even, well, in the last hundred years, it's just, it's just remarkable. I mean, all kinds of big uh, data sets have moved in exactly the right direction. Life expectancy and standards of living are, are up. Crime and uh, extreme poverty are down. We are fixing, or we have already fixed, lots of problems. The ozone hole is you know, closed. The rivers are cleaner. We've got uh, increasing numbers of, of millions and billions of people who have access to clean water. Uh, and to electricity and things like that. I'm, I'm no fan uh, of Steven Pinker, the Harvard uh, psychologist, but I appreciate one of his recent books where he talks about how many things are going right. And many others have joined him. Uh, this week I, I read uh, a, an article by Larry Summers, who had been Secretary of Treasury under Clinton and, and uh, President of Harvard after that. 
And he said, he tells his economic students that uh, given a choice between being a poor college student in the U.S. today and being John D. Rockefeller 100 years ago, they should pick being a poor college student because they're living a better life. So many things have gotten better. So I share that because uh, one of the purposes of the Sabbath is that we are to be realigned. So the Sabbath, you know, we weren't created for the Sabbath. Uh, the Sabbath is created for us, and it's not just a day of, of rest, a day away from work. Uh, it's a day of restoration. It's a day of being recharged. It's a day of realignment. We need to see things more accurately, see what is really real. And one of the ways to navigate in a moment when there's lots of people who are uh, who are despairing when there's lots of anger, where there's lots of, of this going on, is to realize that many things, in many ways, things are going better. Secondly, it, it is important as Christ followers that we are, uh, we are framing our worldview, we are orienting our disposition around the promises of God. Uh, in a broken world, we need to be reminded that these are, in Paul's words, light and momentary afflictions that do not compare to the eternal weight of glory. We need to live today in light of eternity. And while we don't know what tomorrow holds, while we don't know what, what it will be like between today and when Christ returns or when we are with, fully with God and, and everything is better, we are promised that if you are in Christ, this ends well, so we don't have to, to get agitated over uh, lots of the little stuff. And then there is a third thing, and that brings us to our passage today. There is a third way that we are to uh, sort of face the world that is full of problems. There's a third expectation that is incumbent upon us if we are going to, to sort of live well uh, in a world that is full of sin and brokenness and all kinds of, of pain. And that is that we need to expect things to be hard. <laughs> and we need to be prepared for things to be hard. So this is the, uh, the eighth sermon in this series called The Life. We're in the second half of uh, John's Gospel. And I've made the point that in the first half, and we're doing uh, daily devotions on the first half. The first half of John's gospel, like the other gospels, are, are really hammering away at the idea that Jesus is God, that, uh, that he, he is who he claimed to be, that, you know, that and in John's gospel, of course, it opens with that real regal, majestic uh, opening passage about the Logos and that he was president in creation and that all things were created through him. So you've got this really rich first half that is hammering away at, at, the, at the, the purpose of the gospel. And John tells us in John 20, you know, I have written these things so that you may believe. One of the pr big purposes of the gospel is that we would, uh, is that we would come to place our faith in Christ. So if, if you have not yet placed your faith in Christ, if you have not yet put your weight down, I mean, that, you need to do that, right? That is, that is what is undergirding uh, the Gospel of John. That is Christ's primary message. Uh, he is not simply a life coach and a moral reformer and a, a sage. He is the Savior of the world. He is the Son of God who was sent 
by God the Father to rescue you and me. So that's the first purpose of the Gospel of John. But the second, a, a second purpose is to help us understand how we are supposed to live, what it looks like to follow Christ, what, how we're supposed to think, how we're supposed to orient ourselves. And so we, um, we get some of that here. So we've been moving through the second half of, uh, of John's Gospel. They are now, it's now Thursday night, uh, they, are, um, they are at the Passover meal. Judas has already left to betray Jesus. Uh, and Jesus has already said, again, although this time it seems like maybe they're starting to hear him, that he's going to die, but they're going to be okay. He's going to send the Holy Spirit, and, and that he's going to prepare a place for them. Um, and then what we get next, and again, just this is hours before Christ will be uh, arrested, and less than a day before he will be dead on uh, the cross. And so all of this is sort of, you know, last minute instructions. Important stuff like remember. <laughs> remember this. And he says to them that we should expect hard, but uh, we can prepare and hard provides opportunities for us to grow. So um, I'm reading now John chapter 15. Uh, beginning with verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Okay, the, the, the word world uh, is a, uh, a layered word. There's a couple different Greek words that translate world. This is cosmos from which we get obviously, well, cosmos and cosmic and things like that. But lots of different meanings. And, and in this case, probably just easiest to think that it refers to those that are alienated from God the Father. So uh, if the world, uh, those who are alienated from God the Father, if they hate you, keep in mind that they hated me first. Jesus was, by the way, disliked. Um, <laughs> you, don't, uh, you don't kill people who simply go around telling others to be nice and use their inside voice and, you know, to, to be gentle and meek. Um, those who view Jesus only as sort of a first century Mr. Rogers are left, uh, if they're thinking this through, they're left dumbfounded. Uh, why would that kind of a person be such a threat? So um, Jesus was hated. If the world hates you, keep in mind they hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. So just a reminder that we do not belong to this world. Now that doesn't mean that we should not care about this world. I think a lot of Christians have made a mistake on this point. Uh, we are called to love the people. We're called to be stewards of this world. That's, that's in one almost the first commandment. We see it in Genesis chapter 1, uh, right? That God created us to be, uh, you know, to, to be caretakers. And so... This is God's world, and uh, we are not uh, disinterested in it. But our ultimate citizenship is more fully in the presence of God. And so uh, Augustine writes about this, right? We, we, are, we live in the city of man, but we also already have our citizenship in the city of God. And so uh, we are not uh, ultimately at home in this broken world right now. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant 
is not greater than his master. Uh, so remember all this uh, because um, some make it a practice to sort of uh, avoid problems and not remember what, where we are and what's going on and what the challenges are that we face. Um, and so uh, they end up surprised by some of the hardships. And I, I, I do think this is a big point. I think a lot of people um, just have this understanding or this expectation that if I am a Christian, that if I say that I believe in God, if I do good things like go to church or pray or whatever, that somehow God is indebted to me and life is going to be easy for me. God is going to superintend an easy pathway. Everything is going to be easy. And, and when you think that, when that is not what happens, uh, we end up on our heels. So um, that makes the hardships even harder than they need to be. And so, again, part of what Jesus is saying, I'm, part of what I said to you is look around. There are a lot of things that are going better uh, than you might understand. Secondly, live in light of eternity. Eternity changes everything, right? So keep, keep things in perspective. But a third is expect hard. Expect hardships. This is what Jesus is saying to us here just before his own hardship of going to the cross. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And they did, of course, persecute Jesus. Uh, they put him to death. We should not be surprised by that. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now that they have no excuse for their sin, whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be uh, guilty of sin as it is they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and the Father. Um, verse 25, but this is written in order to fulfill uh, the law. They hated me without reason. When the advocate comes, this, of course, is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is referred to as the Holy Spirit, the Spirit, the paraclete, uh, the, the comforter, and the advocate. When the advocate comes, whom I will send, he's made that promise already, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. And then uh, chapter 16, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. So just, <laughs> again, I'm trying to disabuse you of the notion that in coming to faith in Christ, we are promised an easy life. He's saying to those that are following him, right, there will, come a there will come a time when those who kill you will believe that they are actually doing a good thing. Uh, they will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. Uh, I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. So again, Jesus, close to his death, is uh, talking to his disciples for a last time. And he is giving them uh, sort of a, a briefing. 
and how to help them be prepared for what is headed their way. So uh, I want to just underline the first thing, the big overarching thing that, that we're getting here is that uh, we should expect to be disliked and misunderstood. Um, there will be times when embracing Christ is uh, so contrary to the norm and the culture uh, that it will cost us. So it's worth reflecting on this for a minute to say we're going to be disliked. Why are we going to be disliked? Well, Jesus gives us some answers here. Let me just let me just note what he doesn't say. Right? He does not say you will be disliked because uh, you are expected uh, and allowed to be selfish and to be jerks. Uh, look, the idea that we're going to suffer is on full display. And I think in this country at this moment, we are seeing some, um, there's, there's some uh, annoyance with uh, Christians. There's pushback. There are, there are challenges. All of that is happening. Um, it's, it's, and once it's not new, Jesus suffered. And, of course, uh, Peter will write about the fact that all Christians are going to suffer persecution. Martyrdom, I think, is a unique thing. There's not many people that are martyred, but uh, throughout history, uh, persecution is sort of the normal experience of Christians. We are being told to expect persecution. It might be fines. It might be sort of family uh, slights. It might be uh, getting your, your group kicked off of the college campus. Uh, it might be laws against sharing our faith or unjust trials or public mockery. It could be arrest. It could be brutality. Um, but if we faithfully follow Jesus, part of what we're being told here is that we should expect to be disliked. Now, um, I, I want to be clear. We're not to look at being disliked when we are dislikable as being part of being faithful. So uh, I, think, I think it's, um, look, we are called to be people who are full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those things, those qualities, are hard to dislike. So one of the things that we need to ask ourselves when people are mad at us for some position we've taken or something that we're doing or how we're responding or whatever is, is what am I being disliked for? <laughs> am I being uh, loving, joyful, you know, peace-abiding, patient, kind, gentle? Right? I mean, am I, is the fruit of the Spirit ripe in my life? Now, you can argue that those are certainly the qualities that we see in, uh, in people who are being persecuted. Jesus, and, and then we could go down the list and talk about Paul and Peter and others uh, who are going to run up against this. But in general, you don't get in trouble for those qualities. And you get in trouble for something beyond those qualities. And it's even in spite of the fact that we're being loving that we might be disliked. So... Um, I, I, I mean, I, I don't want to come down too hard here. I, there are lots of Christians uh, who are kind and loving. I, this week, I put out an email 
late in the week that I had heard that Walt Liefeld, who had been the senior pastor here for five years back in the late 80s and early 90s, excuse me, Walt uh, uh, is 95, and early in the week he fell and broke his hip. And he's been in the hospital. He had surgery on Friday, and uh, he's going to be in, in rehab. The surgery went well. Uh, he came through the surgery. Uh, when I last spoke with Dave, his son, uh, he said, you know, he's in, he, this is serious, and he's in a lot of pain, and, and he's uh, in and out of consciousness. But, but uh, uh, he said it's, it went as well as it could. And then he said, um, you know, so my dad is still my dad. Says he's kind, he's considerate, he's, uh, he's asking about others, he's being so gracious uh, to the nurses and the doctors that are attending to him, he's going out of his way to make sure everybody else is doing well. <laughs> he's, he's very alert to how things are going with all of his, his wife, and uh, he, goes, he, he, he continues to have a great sense of humor, we laugh a lot. Uh, so he says he's still very kind. And I, I, I said to Sherry, I go, you know, uh, uh, I'm a little worried about sort of outliving my filters because uh, I've got this, this vision that, uh, you know, when I'm in, if I'm in pain uh, at the end of my life, uh, people may not say, uh, wow, he's still so kind. <laughs> They're going to say, this guy was a pastor. Are you kidding me? Uh, what a jerk. So, um, look, there are Christians that are kind. And, 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 and we need to own all of this. And, you know, the Spirit of God is doing a work. We're not seeing the kind of maturity that I think we would like to see. But we do see it some places. This past week, uh, or two weeks ago, I guess, I interviewed uh, John Dixon, an Australian, who's just the last year or so has come to Wheaton College as a professor. He's a sort of a media guy, written 20 books. Uh, and we were talking about his most recent book called Bullies and Saints, in which he takes a sort of an unblinking look at church history. And he looks at the bullies. He looks at the bad. And I think we've got to own it. But he also looks at, uh, he looks at the saints. And he looks at, uh, you know, obviously, the ultimate hero is not is the saints. It's Jesus. And so uh, I want to I frame all this as appropriately as I can and say, uh, if we're if we're being uh, persecuted, and again, I don't I don't think we're being persecuted. I don't know many people in this country. I know people in other countries who are being persecuted. I don't know many people in this country who are being persecuted. Uh, I know there's a lot. There are situations in which we're we're being pushed aside or dismissed or spoken poorly of. I just don't think it rises to the level of persecution. Uh, but I think one of the first things we ought to look at is to say, to what extent am I embracing uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit? But uh, it's, it's worth noting uh, that our passage suggests that there are other reasons why we may be disliked. It's not because we're being jerks. It's other reasons. And so on verse 21, uh, Jesus says, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. So one of the reasons that people don't like Christians or didn't like Jesus and those who now identify with Jesus is because he brings an absolute standard from outside and imposes it upon us. 
and that is enormously unpopular today. The idea that, that we are uh, defined, that we are dependent, that we are contingent, that we, that we respond to a, an absolute and holy God who defines, we don't get to define ourselves, the idea that there, that there is right and wrong, the idea that we have to, uh, that we have to respond to that, the idea that, there's, that there is a meta-narrative to push back against the postmodern mantra, that there is no meta-narrative and that all truth is what I decide is true and what's my lived experience and all that. It's unpopular when Jesus comes by and says, no, actually, this is the way things are. And uh, making those claims, which Jesus does, read the Sermon on the Mount. It is his commentary. It's his sermon on the law. And Jesus makes it really clear that we are very broken and that, that uh, we are sinners and that the wages of sin is death and we're separated from God. So, so this idea of an absolute standard is enormously unpopular. There's a second reason that I think gets teased out of the text is, as to why uh, people may dislike us. And that is because we are uh, never fully uh, one of them. We're never fully uh, complete. We're not sold out for whatever the team is, whatever the political party is, whatever the, whatever the company is, whatever the, whatever the cause is, right? Because we are not our own. And so there's a sense in which we are should be, should always be, uh, ultimately, right, sold out to God. And so we cannot, uh, we cannot be part of all of that. Now, there are other reasons as well that I think uh, we can find ourselves making other people dislike us. Um, you know, sometimes just choosing not to engage in something can make others feel judged by our lack of engaging in it. Um, it's, uh, it's certainly considered very narrow today, phenomenally narrow to say that Jesus is the only way. I mean, what Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Uh, no one comes to the Father but through me. The, if we're on the inside looking at that exclusive and shocking uh, claim, then we, we, you know, you grow comfortable saying, yeah, there's, there's just nobody like Jesus. And I trust God. He's so loving and gracious. I trust God with how he's working this out. I don't understand it. It might, may not be the way I would do it. But, but I'm, I'm comfortable saying, yeah, that's, you know, that is what Jesus says. And I, I'm, I'm in. Um, but it seems very harsh. There, there are a variety of other things. I want to just pivot here and, and look uh, at the last part of this because um, there's, there's, Jesus says all this and then he says, um, I want you to understand that it's going to be hard because if you don't understand it's hard, it's going to be hard. If you're not prepared for it to be hard, then you may fall away. So, Hours before his betrayal, or before his arrest and, and his death, uh, Jesus is saying, I want to be sure, right, that you're, you're up for what's coming your way. At this moment, by the way, 
the country is sort of watching, many in the country are watching as uh, a, a growing number of college students are moving uh, closer to God. There's, there's, you know, what looks to be uh, real revival. Uh, started at Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky. It spread. There's, last I heard, 20, 25 colleges where students are meeting together uh, in, in sort of um, times of worship and prayer and repentance uh, one of the one of the great things uh, that many have been celebrating so far is that there is no hero other than Jesus uh, for this. There's no name associated with it. It's not you know so and so is getting any kind of credit for it. It seems to be a genuine sort of uh, a time of, of revival. Uh, what we pray for, what we hope for, um, but. Even as that is going on, we have to be alert to the fact that there are many who have uh, walked away from the faith or who are deconstructing their faith. Now, I, I, I actually think that the news in aggregate, when we look at the world, when we look at the fact that there is this kind of dramatic growth, borderline revival happening in other countries, in Iran and Vietnam and China and you know, Brazil, and uh, the church in the West is... is going through a time of winnowing and purging, and, and uh, it's not as bad as some make it out to be, but it is, it is something. And so Jesus is saying, like, don't let that be you. Don't fall away. Um, and so he wants us to trust that he has things under control. He wants us to be aware that uh, challenges and trials are coming. But he also, and the, the rest of the Bible will make this point clear, that, uh, that those times of trial, those times of trouble, those, those moments of suffering, those heartaches, uh, are often uh, the times of, of the greatest personal growth and transformation. I think if you were to take a piece of paper and you write down uh, the worst moments of your life, right, that you could also, you would also find that you would, you would look back and say, some of the better things that have ever happened to you have happened to you because of that. Or ways that you have grown, or, or, or future decisions that you have made because of this. You, you see the, I don't want to say goodness, because some of these things are bad. I don't want to call things that are bad good. But God can uh, redeem what others mean for bad, and what, what can seem to be bad. Uh, God can redeem that, and, and he makes promises to that end. So um, uh, I want you to be aware that uh, you will get knocked down at some point in the future. Right? That, that's just life in a broken world. Uh, and that, that it's helpful to expect it. It's helpful to look around at all the things that are going well. It's helpful to count our blessings. It's helpful to, to frame our, our situation in light of eternity. It's also helpful to prepare for an understanding that Jesus gives us here in, uh, in, in John, the last chapters in John, to prepare for the fact that difficult things are coming and to recognize that even in those difficulties, God remains in control. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we, we continue to pray for uh, easy. <laughs> we, pray for, uh, we pray for your blessing. We pray for your protection, especially on those that we love. That is at the center of our heart. 
but we also pray for greater understanding uh, of, of your word and of your hand and of your plan. We pray for resilience. We pray that, uh, that the hope that comes out of the Holy Spirit, the joy that comes from the Holy Spirit will be lodged deep in our heart and that uh, you would allow us during those trials to be refined just as gold is refined and comes out pure on the other side. I pray for those who, who, are, who are struggling right now, who do not want to hear that uh, more struggles may be ahead. Father, help them understand your great love for us. And uh, Jesus, help us understand that you do have all things under control. Thank you for uh, alerting us. Thank you for guiding us for what to prepare for. Be with us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.